don't know if you've noticed, it's noisy, right? It's hard to be heard in the world in which you and I live. We have more and more options for our voice to be heard, to project our voice, to share our thoughts, to share our opinions. But when you equip 7 billion plus people with the ability to all communicate loudly into a world, uh, that raises the volume of the world. And so what happens when the volume of the room goes up? Everybody talks a little louder and then it just keeps building on itself. And I don't know if you feel that, but I certainly do in the world in which we live, that it's just noisy. There's so much noise and so many voices and and it can be hard sometimes to be heard when we resort to shouting louder um, using bigger bolder colors even an angrier tone uh, just to get our voice across uh, we may be heard eventually but we may not be heard because uh, of those things oftentimes the louder something gets the more we tune it out because it's not a beautiful thing to our ears and so uh, sometimes it's the quieter thing sometimes it's the subtle things sometimes it's the small things in a loud world that make the biggest difference i read an article a few weeks ago uh, that was uh, actually it fit well with this sermon series we are starting a new series today called uh, uh, the uh, lowercase letters uh, which we're going to look at four small New Testament letters here uh, but there was a, an article that came out that uh, in Christianity today that did a, a thing about uh, lowercase ministry and they talked about how the things again we all want to be heard we have this important message about who Jesus is and that's big news and so we want to be heard and yet the things that oftentimes make the gospel most effective and most hearable. Uh, it comes in things like this. They had this quote that sales is oftentimes done in all caps. Uh, if, you're, if you're texting or social media stuff, all caps means you're yelling, but an invitation is lowercase. Uh, that panic is all caps, but comfort is lowercase. Hype is all caps, but genuine is lowercase. Urgent is all caps, but important is lowercase. All caps yells, lowercase listens. And on and on it went about just a lowercase approach to life. And, and again, I'm not saying that the message isn't important, but sometimes our approach to it, uh, sometimes we can just try to outscream the world and no one listens to that. And so we come to these little letters. There's four little letters that are just one chapter each in your New Testament. Uh, they're Second and Third John. They're Jude and Philemon. And they're oftentimes looked over because they are so small. Uh, they are not letters that you would think uh, that would have a lot in them, compared, especially compared to the larger, important books like Romans or Acts or the Gospels or other letters that you'd think of and say, man, there's so much in those letters and we can spend years in them. But then there's these little bitty letters. Many of them are postcard letters, some people call them, because you could really light, write them on one piece of papyrus and send it off. And, and so they're oftentimes overlooked. They don't deal with lots of themes, but each one of them usually at least deals with one key theme that a biblical writer wanted to send a note to, to a church or to an individual and say, hey, you've got this issue going on. Let me give you some counsel. And I love these little letters. And, and the, today's was challenging, I'll be honest with you. I've never preached about 2 John before. I don't think I have. Um, and there's probably good reasons for it. Uh, it's kind of a letter that you start reading and think, well, what am I going to do with that? That's not the most exciting theme, but I hope that we've put an approach to it that will be helpful to you and your faith. And so 2 John is a book that deals with a tension that all of us wrestle with. It's that tension between what I know, truth, 
versus what I'm maybe being pulled to feel, maybe love. It's that tension that we all wrestle with from time to time. And if you follow Jesus in this world, you're going to wrestle with that. The times when, well, I know what my mind says I should be doing, but my heart or my relationships pull me this way. So what do I do with that? Well, a couple weeks ago, my son showed me a video that um, I want to show you. So if you don't like it, you can take it up with him. I'll give you his address later. Um, but uh, he's sitting right back there. He just, uh, anyway, but if you don't like it, but I think this, this, I like this video because I think it illustrates the tension between I know this is truth, but it sure doesn't feel like truth. And so take a look if you would, please. Well, you watch that, and I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but maybe you felt like that, right? You've been in places where you know this is right. Like, I know this. I've read my Bible. I've been taught this, and I think this is right, but so many voices around you can have such an emotional pull on you, when, and it, there's a tension that's created between truth and love. And as you read the little book of 2 John, what you find is that same tension being unpacked. And so keep that poor guy in your mind, the back of your mind, as we kind of unpack this and we think about this little letter that, that again, it's, it's very simple, short, it's 13 verses is all it is, but it's John speaking into a specific situation in a, in a church that is wrestling with what do we do with some people that, that are coming in, trying to come into the church. If you read 1 John, he unpacks all of this a lot more. These false teachers who are coming in presenting a different version of Jesus. Now the apostles presented a a. a picture of Jesus uh, because of their relationship with him, uh, firsthand evidence, life, and, and if you read 1 John 1, 1 through 4, you find that he's the one that our hands have touched and our, our ears have listened to, or we have seen him, we have ate with him, we have, we, we've seen him. He was real. And yet these false teachers were coming in after the facts, making a case that, well, the flesh is evil. We all know that. Every good Greek person knows that your flesh is all evil all the time. So it's impossible for God to become a real man. And so maybe at his baptism, uh, he was a good guy. And so maybe God kind of took over this guy's life for a little while and left right before he was crucified because we know that God would never suffer. We know that. And so that picture was eroding the, the confidence that the people had in the message that John, the other apostles, had all based Christianity upon. And so John is writing this letter as they're trying to wrestle with, okay, this is what we've been taught from John, eyewitness apostle guy. We know him. He's told us about Jesus. But these other people, they're using... Uh, they're using our good nature. They're using our hospitality. They're, they're worrying their way in and they're beginning to, to lead people away. And the church is suffering. And John cares about the church. In fact, the reason that he wrestles with this whole issue is because of the name he begins the letter with. If you look in verse 1 of this text, you'll find that he, he says this. Um, sorry, skip a couple slides here. I'll come back here. Mate. Okay. Uh, the elder. That little term he uses. An elder is one who, who cares for the flock. I'm going to fall off the step. He cares for the flock. Sorry. Catch me. Jacob, if I fall. Bifocals are still a trouble sometimes. Um, and so he cares for his flock, and, and so the, the, the elder is to, is to lead and feed and protect, and that's what John is trying to do for this congregation, okay? And so he comes back, if you back up a couple, as you read this text, what you're going to find is there are some key words that are repeated several times. So back up two slides, if you would, and we'll get to that. Okay, Second John, there are words that are repeated uh, several different places. Words like truth, five times, love, four times, commandment, four times. And so in this little bitty letter, John doesn't really mince words. It's, it's early and often he repeats his theme. It's about this balance between truth and love. 
And, and how do you do that? Uh, what's some wisdom that we can use to apply to our life, okay? And, and so what he's going to try to do is this. He's going to prioritize not one or the other. He's going to prioritize truth and love. Note the capital letters, okay? Truth and love, right? He wants to hold on tightly to both. And that's hard. It's easier. And in fact, in our culture, uh, I, I grew up in a time when, when truth was very, very, it mattered a great deal culturally where I lived. And so we held on to truth and ideals and it didn't matter if that offended people. And so we kind of held on to truth really, really hard. But now we live in a culture where we're all about love and, and truth is almost a bad word. And, and if you hold on to truth, it's, it's offensive and, and we shouldn't do that. And so we've kind of, the pendulum has swung the other way. And so which is it? John would say it's both because you can't really love God. You can't really love people like God wants you to love them without truth. Uh, but you're not really going to practice truth that God wants you to hold on to without love. And so he's going to emphasize in these verses the importance of balancing this, of working, of wrestling at this, of trying really hard to, uh, to work your way into, work into your life. Both truth, a firm conviction, this is who Jesus is, this is who he was, this is his redemption came through a God becoming man and, and the apostle's message is true. And because of that, it's going to play itself out in these things that we do as we love God and we love other people. And so let's read verses one through three again. Uh, let's go back. That slide. The elder, John, identifies himself is that, with that term. To the elect lady and her children. He's writing to a small little church. Uh, the church at Ephesus was a significant church in biblical history. It's a place that Paul uh, helped to start in one of his missionary journeys or helped to establish the church and grow the church. Timothy, his protege, two books in your Bible are written from Paul to Timothy as he was serving in Ephesus. Later, when John, after all the other apostles were dead and gone and been martyred, John's the one who lasts. And so in the late first century, the 80s to 90 range, John serves and ministers in this church in Ephesus. So you've got this really strong, well-established church, but they're still wrestling with all of these things. And so John writes to one of the little congregations that would have met in homes around the city of Ephesus and says, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. So did you note that at least three times in that little sentence? The word truth is used, right? And so John is reminding them that in this context, this truth is about who Jesus is. This truth that's being undermined by these false teachers who says, we've got a different version of Jesus. This version of Jesus who isn't God, who isn't man at the same time. And so that changes the whole redemptive story. You see, the gospel message is that God became a man in the person of Christ, and because he's God, he can, he can deal with God, and because he's man, he can save us, he can die for our sins, and he's a perfect mediator because he is both God and both man. But these false teachers were presenting a different version of Jesus, and that erodes the whole redemption story that the apostles built the church on in this message of Jesus. And so John is very clear to say, you know what, this truth matters. He goes on in verse 3 to say, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. So note the connection, uh, he, truth and love, the connection between God the Father and God the Son, that Jesus is not some um, just extra bystander. He is God in the flesh. He is part of God's plan and God, what God is doing in the world 
So John is very firm on this whole idea of truth at the beginning, but then he introduces this whole idea of love. And so you and, all, you and I all wrestle with this tension. Anybody who tries to be a follower of Christ in any culture is going to wrestle with this tension of, uh, do I fall on the side of truth? Do I fall on the side of love? And again, Paul, John is going to remind us that it's not an either or. It's a both and, and we've got to work hard to meet in the middle with them. You see, sometimes I try to get mental images in my mind to help explain things, and, and sometimes I think we approach truth and love like a tug-of-war rope, right? Some people are way over here on the truth side. Some people are over here on the love side, and we're pulling against each other, and it's either or, one way or the other, right? And they they're kind of work against each other. They don't work well together. I don't know if this is a good illustration or not, but I think it, it at least helps my mind. If you were to go out after, after church, pop the hood on your car, and look at that little rubber belt that goes around all the components and holds everything together, and, it, and when you turn your car on, it begins to spin everything inside your motor because that belt is doing what it's supposed to be doing. I think it's more, instead of a tug-of-war rope, I think it's more of a belt like that that's holding everything together, making it all work the way it's supposed to work. There's truth that drives it. Truth is the foundation of it, but love is the fruit of it. Love comes out of truth. And so if your version of truth doesn't produce love, you're not, produce, you're not really following gospel truth. What if you're loving the world, but there's no truth to it? You don't have gospel love. You've got worldly definition of love. And so these two things go together, truth and, and love. And so he, he kind of lays that foundation. He talks about this idea of truth and love being important. And so let's look at both of those then. Because then in the next few verses, uh, he unpacks love first, and then he gets to the ap application of truth as he goes. And so the second thing I would show you here this morning, first is prioritize truth and love. Second is don't contain your love for others. In other words, love isn't something that you put in a box and it stays there. Love goes beyond the boundaries. Love goes farther than you'd ever expect it to go. And John's definition of love uh, is full throughout his writings, right? In the book of John, the gospel of John, that John wrote the story of Jesus, love is a constant theme. First John, he's constantly writing about love. He will say things about this, like this, about what love is. Love is not something that you say. That's good to hear, but it's something that you do, something that you it's a verb. It's an action. Listen to what he writes in Second John chapter, Second uh, John four through six. He goes on to say this: I greatly rejoice to find some of my children walking in the truth. Again, they're holding on to that truth about who Jesus is, and they're walking in it. That belief is shaping how they live their life, right? So it's not just a mental thing that has nothing to do with daily life. It is a thing here, but it impacts everything they do, how they live and think. And so they're walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. So what's truth's number one thing? It's going to drive you to love people like Jesus loved the world and loved his Father. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Now he says all that to just get you thinking about this whole idea, okay, what is truth going to drive me to do? Truth is going to drive me to love God first and foremost. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm going to love God first. But the second is just like it, love my neighbor as myself. And so real biblical God-centered truth is going to cause me to love him. It's going to cause me to love people. I'm going to love differently because of that truth. And so he, he drives that down further in, um, in his writings. Uh, Frank uh, Geberlein would summarize it this way when he would say this, that love for one another is what the Father required, the Son manifested, and the Spirit makes available through life in him. 
that's a great picture because you find all these commandments in Scripture, God calling us to love. So what does that look like? You see that manifested, shown to you in the person of Jesus. What's it look like to love people? Look what Jesus did. How did he love? He gives us a picture. We think, well, that's great. I can see lots of great people in the world who can do incredible things, but I could never do that. And so what does the Spirit do? The Spirit then gives you the energy, the ability to love in ways that you would never do because God's supernatural Spirit enables you to be a man or a woman who loves like God wants you to love. And so John would write things like this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, talking about how love is not just something you say. There has to be action. There, people should feel it. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. In other words, if you're harboring hatred, we'll get to that here in a few weeks with Philemon. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so there's this tangible thing that if I have this right, if I say I love God, it's going to be making all kinds of differences around me. Chapter 3 in 1 John verse 16 says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for others. For our brothers, excuse me. So what does that look like then? Well, if, if I say I love God, um, he's, he laid down, he was sacrificial. He laid down his life for my good. So I should be laying my life down for those around me. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. I love that picture. They close their heart against him. It's this intentional, um, I'm not gonna think about you. I'm not going to feel what you are hurting. I'm, not gonna, I'm gonna close my heart to that. How does God's love abide in him? In other words, truth is not leading them. God's truth is not leading them to love. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Gaberline goes on to say this. Belief may be feigned and confession only of the lips, but love is harder to counterfeit. In other words, people can see it, right? If you want to know, are you a loving person? It should radiate from your life. It should be easy to see the evidence of that. And so John calls us to love. And then he goes on and brings up an illustration that we're going to see a little bit next week as well. That in the early church, there was a custom that was one of the most noble virtues of expressing love to someone else. And it's, it's this idea. It was hospitality. Uh, hospitality was a way in which they would show love to others. And they defined hospitality this way. And I love this definition of hospitality because I think it fits so much with our life. And hospitality is meeting the needs of others with the best of your earthly possessions. I love that picture. Right? What does it mean to love somebody? Well, maybe if you have a hospitable, loving attitude heart, it means that you are meeting the needs of others, physical, spiritual, relational. You're meeting the needs of others with the best of what you possess earthly on earth, the best of what you have. I've been to several places in the world that have third world countries, and like every once in a while you'll get a chance to go into a person's home. And I don't know about you, but my home is my place that I go to get away from people. I don't know, maybe you can agree with that. You close the doors, close the garage door. Don't bother me. I'm in my home. But in so many places in the world, they reversed that. Home is not a place to get away from people. Home is a place to minister to people. And we should learn that, I think. At least I should grow in that. But, but home, for so many people in the world, you walk into these places, they have nothing. They have a chicken in the backyard. So what are they going to do? They're going to go kill their chicken. And they're going to feed you the chicken. And they're going to feed you their rice. And they're going to feed you whatever they have. And they're going to keep pushing, pushing, pushing so that you're happy, your needs are taken care of. Even though probably when you leave their home, 
they're probably not going to have a lot to eat after that. That's the attitude of that hospitality. It's meeting the needs of others with the very best of your earthly possessions. And so that was a, a very noble trait, and especially in the early church because they didn't have hotels and, and places that you could stay that were at least uh, above, repro- uh, above, above reproof. So that's what I'm trying to say. And so if you were traveling as a missionary, traveling as an apostle, traveling as a Christian teacher, you'd go to a new town, and the last place that you probably wanted to stay was the local inn because it was not a very good place to stay. A lot of bad things would happen there. And so the Christians prided themselves on caring for each other. Hey, Christian brother, sister, come stay with us. Let us show you hospitality and we will give you the very best that we have and we'll love you and care for you by being hospitable. And so they put their love into action by caring for these traveling missionaries and teachers. But the problem came is that these false teachers saw the good nature, saw the heart that these Christians and these churches had for these traveling pe- people. And so these false teachers began to, begin to take advantage of these, the generosity, the openness of these churches and these Christians. And so as you begin to continue to read this letter, what John says is you need to not only show love, there needs to be a great deal of hospitality. You should love beyond your borders, beyond the, the, the limit of what you can do. You should love but you need to also be wise because who you listen to shapes what you believe and what you believe plays itself out in what you do. And so as you read the rest of this letter, John almost, he doesn't contradict himself, but he does call them to practice wisdom with their loving. The third thing he wants you to, I want you to see in this letter is, yes, you should, don't, you should not contain your love for others, but also don't compromise truth for others. And that's the last part of this letter, that John is going to warn them, hey, be careful. When these false teachers who used to be part of the church, who who left the church because they didn't even believe in the same Jesus, but they're coming back and they're trying to recruit people to say, hey, what John told you was wrong. He's not telling you the truth. We have new knowledge. We have better knowledge. We've got, we're farther down the road. So come listen to us. And they were beginning to steal the sheep from the church. And John His heart broke for that. And so he said, be careful that you don't compromise truth for others. Listen to what he goes on to say in 2 John verse 7. It says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Okay, there's the false teaching. This disagreement that Jesus, that God became one of us. He's not a man is what they were teaching. But again, the apostles continually teach that Jesus was both God, both and man at the same time. So such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. And John uses this word with a lowercase a. Other places in the Bible may talk about some huge figure. This isn't some big, uh, don't picture some crazy thought of men walking down the street with giant swords of flames and stuff like that. That's not this. This is just a person who is against Christ. They are teaching things that are eroding the truth about who Jesus was. And so be careful of how they are deceiving you. Watch yourselves that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward the theme of our VBS this week is this whole shipwrecked thing. And what John is concerned about is that their faith will be shipwrecked because they choose to begin to believe in a Jesus that, that didn't exist and that wasn't preached by the apostles who, who lived with and who watched and who listened and were discipled by Jesus. And so they were, he was concerned that you're going to shipwreck your faith. You're going to lose everything that, you have worked, that we have worked to build up in you. And then he talks about, he goes on to say, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. In other words, you think these false teachers promised, hey, we've got new knowledge. If you follow us, we'll teach you and we'll really show you who God is. 
But he says, you're going to lose all that by running ahead with them. They don't even have God. And whoever abides in the teaching has both not only the Father, but you have the Son. And so abide by that truth that we have given you. He goes on to finish this way. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. There's the wisdom thing, right? We should love beyond boundaries, he said earlier. We should be known for our love. But there, there is a place there are lines, there is wisdom, there is discernment that you should use because what happens when one of these false teachers was welcomed into someone's home? Well, there was the effect that as they listened to them, as they dined with them, as they lived together, that they would, hey, this is a nice guy, I, I like this person, maybe I should listen to what he says. And they could be deceived day by day. But it also gave a stamp of approval to others who would say, hey, that guy's staying with the Christians, and so maybe we should listen to him as well. And so John is, is using some wisdom here in this specific situation. And again, you're probably thinking, well, where's the tension? Where's the line? How do I know? That's the struggle. There's the tension between love and truth. And so anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. And then he finishes the letter, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Twice he warns them, verse eight, watch out. Verse 10, do not receive him. You see, there's a seductiveness that this commentary, the North American commentary says, there is always a seductiveness into false teaching that can lure into one into a stupor if he is not careful. And so John is calling for them to be, you know what, keep that balance. Because as you love, you need truth to guide you so that you don't end up in a place that you, you should not be. But as you practice truth, you need love to keep it soft and flexible and what it is that God wants you to be. You need them both. And so I like this quote, that hospitality, it, it was an moral obligation to host guests in your home. But John, the apostle of love, and everywhere you read John's material, he's calling us to love, love, love. But John, the apostle of love, is the one instructing them to withhold this moral obligation so why does he do that? He does it because he cares for them. And he says there is a time and a place that you don't have to listen. You should love people. Your love should be known by all. But there's a time and a place to be wise, especially in the case of these false teachers who are going to lead you astray. And so as he strives to lead and defeat and protect them, he is giving them the gift of discernment, of wisdom to be able to say, whoa, 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 yes, we should love, but there's a time and a place to say no. There's a time and a place to stop. There's a time and a place to, to not listen, even though we should be known for that. Now, what is this not saying? Some of you probably have relatives. The holiday seasons are eventually going to come upon us uh, in the fall here, and you're going to make up your invitation list for Thanksgiving dinner. This does not mean that you've got to have an unbelieving relative. Oh, I'm not inviting him because 2 John told me to, and i got a verse because he's a jerk anyway. I don't want to invite them. This is not an excuse to not invite your unbelieving neighbor or your unbelieving relative to Thanksgiving dinner. This is not what this is about. Or this is also not if you have a friend who goes to another church and, and yet they still believe that, that Jesus is God in the flesh or God in the flesh and, and that this whole person of who Jesus is, the whole redemptive work of, of God through Christ on the cross for our forgiveness, if they believe that, but maybe you disagree about other things. Oh, that person's a Methodist, that person's this, that. I can't talk with them now because Second John told me to. That's not what this is about. This is about being very careful about who you listen to. This is, I think the application of this is, okay, there are so many messages, especially in this world, there are so many messages that are coming your way. 
And I have to have a good, strong grip on the truth to say, okay, I heard this. I don't agree with this because this is what the truth of the gospel is. This is who Jesus is. And, and the loving thing maybe is, is to say, no, I'm, I'm going to love God more in this situation than I, I love you, but I'll still love and serve however I can. And so what is John is writing about is this core doctrine that redefines Christianity about embracing and aligning your beliefs with someone who's going to quickly lead you away because they claim to have new knowledge or better knowledge or something different than what the Bible offers you. And so Paul warned them and he encouraged them this way. That commentary goes on to say this, to maintain a healthy and growing community, um, to the church must exhibit a fidelity to the truth. The next one, if you would, please. Uh, a fidelity to the truth that knows no compromise and they must love one another in a way that knows no boundaries. And you look, well, how, that's, there's a tension in that verse and you're probably frustrated by reading that and that's okay because it's in that tension that I think that we learn what the truth is more but we also learn to love in ways that maybe we're not as comfortable with. And so my goals for you out of this book are simply these. And for me is to have a truth that knows no compromise. You know what? I know who Jesus is. I dig down deep to know him, to understand him, to see what the Bible says about him uh, that's been given to me by the eyewitnesses, by the apostles like John and, and Matthew and so many others. But there's that truth that knows no compromise. But I also want to grow a love that knows no boundaries. And in that dynamic, in that tension, is a, maybe a complicated life, but it's a rich life that God will bless in so many ways. And so my question for you as we end here is simply to ask yourself the question, who has my ear? Does the Lord and does the Lord's truth have my ear? Am I listening? Am, am I growing in my faith? Am I putting myself in places where I'm, I'm learning about who Jesus is, the, the Jesus that was given by the apostles? Does, does the Lord have my ear? And am I being wise and discerning about what I'm listening to, what other people are teaching me about Jesus? Because people are either building your faith or they're eroding your faith in Christ. And so my hope is that we would be wise, we would be discerning as we apply this little book to our life.